This is an AI Group podcast. Hello there. Uh, my name's Tim Piper, and I'm the Victorian head of the Australian Industry Group. And I'm delighted today to have Chris Webb with me, who's the lead for rolling out the new legislation that the EPA will be involved with uh, come middle of next year. And our idea in this series of podcasts is to let you know more about the legislation and let you know just how it will impact on you. So welcome, Chris. Good to have you here today. Uh, thanks, Tim. Good to talk to you and, and good to be able to reach out to your members. One of the fathers of the EPA and of the legislation was Brian Robinson. Um, if Brian was around today to have a look at this legislation, would he be uh, delighted or would he be saying, what have they done to me now? Uh, how, how would he feel about this type of legislation, do you think? Well, I can't, I can't speak for Brian. I, I think I did meet Brian many years ago, but I did have the opportunity recently to catch up with uh, Professor Rob Joy, who similarly had a, had a huge, well, he's a huge amount of the DNA of EPA. I think he was number two to Brian for a long he many was. years, wasn't he? Uh, and we, and I, we talked him through uh, the legislation at a high level, and then he started to rattle off the things that they'd always had problems with, and we said, oh, I think we've got a fix for that one, and a little bit of that. Um, and he, he was very pleased. He said, no, this, this is a very, very forward-thinking way of doing this. It is quite different to what's been done. I also had a... a, a opportunity to meet with the head of the Environment Agency or the former head of the Environment Agency in the UK a couple of years back when we were just formulating the structure. Uh, and he started sceptical and by the end of the conversation he was nodding silently saying actually this this is a very different and uh, way of doing this and this has got a lot of potential. So I think there are a lot of eyes you know, watching as this thing unfolds and we've got a, a huge pressure on us. We've got to make sure that this thing gets implemented uh, the way that it needs to and that includes you know the the regulator's got to rethink its role and, 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 and change the way we approach the job, uh, and that's a big part of what I'm involved in at the moment. Um, but there, yeah, certainly, I think, Rob, back to Rob, you know, he, he, he said he was very optimistic about what this, the, the opportunity that's, that's, that's offered by this legislation. You, you've quite rightly borrowed ideas from other places in the world to make this happen, because that's, that's what you should be doing and seeing where it's being well used. Do we see this then as being groundbreaking in our own right, or is it pulling together lots of good ideas? Um, and are we going to be having people coming out to have a look at what we're doing? Certainly, as a comparator to the rest of the world, and as a, in comparison to other states in Australia. Yeah, look, I think I mean I'm a big believer that most innovation um, comes from stealing good ideas from one thing and applying them in a, in a new I place. I borrowing. I didn't say stealing. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I think there's a great. Um, I think amongst regulators, there's a great respect and. and um, a public domain approach. You know, no, one's, no one's got a monopoly on a good idea. Um, I think bringing it all together under a single piece of legislation and then uh, it's, it's more about the, you know, the, the willingness to take a, a big step into a different direction for environmental legislation is probably the thing that, that we're most proud of. It's, it's a, um, there's a lot of work to be done to get this thing right. But I'm pretty confident, again, coming from previously being regulated, this is a far better way of regulating. This regulates the environment the way businesses manage their own risks. Uh, 20 years ago, I was a health, safety and environment manager, and I had one system to do safety and environment, and I didn't have two systems because you manage it the same way. You understand your risks and you, and you, and you control those risks. So I think uh, in the long run, businesses will find this as a far more productive way of approaching the, you know, the issues related to environmental harm. Um, Just internally, Chris, how difficult or easy do you think it will be to spread the culture of uh, assistance and um, support to companies throughout all of your, mem your members and the people that are going out to see businesses 
because of course this is a bit of a change that'll have to happen across the board for for everybody. Yeah, look, and I think you're right. It, it's there's two two elements to it. I mean, there is a big change, I think, for you know, the, the community and the business community. Uh, in, in moving to really a, a zero tolerance approach for environmental harm, we've we've done the journey in, in safety over many years. Um, I often tell a story when I started in an industry uh, where we had fatality targets. And this was not that long ago, um, and I think the you know, it was thirty six was the target. And if you if you only killed thirty five, you'd get a bonus for it. Um, that's now almost laughable because over the ensuing decades. Uh, it's no longer socially acceptable. Zero harm is now a, a well-understood concept, and we're simply moving to that in the environment space, where um, we're not going to sit here and say that no pollution is ever going to occur. But what it says is we should never accept pollution occurring, and we should always be looking for ways that it could have been prevented uh, and making those the norm. And so that's a big mindset shift, I think, for the outside world, but it's equally it's a mindset shift for the regulator. We're moving from uh, a very um, basic offences and licences regime to one of uh, prevention. And what comes with that then is the obligation that if we're going to tell people that they need to do things to comply, we have to explain what those things are. And so that means the regulator has to shift its approach and that's really what we're focused on now. And we've been moving this way for a while anyway. I think even in the absence of um, that, you know, this piece of legislation, the EPA has been on a journey for some years now of, of Better guidance, better engagement, more more productive. I mean, we still have, we, we still unapologetically, we, we still prosecute people who are doing the wrong things. But um, it's it's really the shift in the emphasis on on the supportive bit that's what makes this kind of legislation work. Because we want to, we want businesses to get on and do what they need to do without us ever having to set foot on their premises. Uh, it's you know, it's not that we don't want to have to intervene and try and fix the world one side at a time, which has really been the model for the last 45, 50 years. Businesses have many structures. It could be a one-man band. It could be uh, a very large company with a chief executive based in New York. Where does the liability for these actions lie and where do the obligations lie? They may well be one and the same, uh, but for different companies it's going to mean different things. Uh, we do have new legislation that's being introduced in, in, in Victoria at the moment around industrial manslaughter and that will change uh, the obligations that people will have on them directly. Where does it lie with companies in relation to this new legislation? Yeah, so then, and look, I think also there's the interaction between parties when you move turn to things like waste or even uh, the you know, some of the other business operations. We get multiple layers of contractors. The first port of call we'll go to is yeah, who's in management control of that risk. So you'll, you'll isolate it down to that's the that's the risk that's sitting here. We can see and it's not being controlled. Who can make the decisions around that? You know, we've had these examples, for example, with uh, service stations where you've got a franchisee who sits in there, they run the service station, but they don't own uh, the tanks in the ground. Uh, or often we've had situations where I think they, have, they own the concrete, but they're not allowed to put a hole in the concrete to get to the things underneath. Um, and so we, we then have to divide that up and say, well, who's in management control of what aspects of this? So in the service station example, um, the landlord who owns the tanks is responsible for the upkeep of the tanks, but the person, the franchisee, uh, is responsible for keeping track of um, the daily stock reconciliation to see if they're losing stock mysteriously, which often is evidence of a leak. Uh, and so really, you know, in the complicated,
complicated um, setups where you've got multiple um, players involved. It's about who's in management control of that particular aspect of the operation. Um, in terms of the contracting piece, it really falls back to the admin law that says, well, you can't contract out your responsibilities, so you can't just say, oh, no, I had someone come in and do that. If it's reasonable that you were in control of some aspects of what they were doing while they're operating on your site, then you are responsible for those aspects. Um, there is one important um, uh, protection that has been built in for small business, though, which I'll, I will... I've attributed this to you in the past, actually, Tim. Um, I, I believe you were involved in lobbying. So under the OHS laws, there were a series of upstream duties, which meant that uh, so if you're a small business and you're relying on somebody else to provide you with, let's say, you're um, having a whole bunch of new pipe work installed, and it's all underground, so you can't see it, um, you need to be able to rely on the fact that you've, you've brought in a qualified person who's, who's skilled up in putting in this pipework that it's done to the Australian standard. And, and if they've, you know, your paperwork suggests that it's all been put in appropriately, turns out later it wasn't. There's actually a specific obligation in the, in the legislation that you can rely on the fact that you were using a, quality, you know, a, a person to do this. So they've got obligations to make sure that they're giving you a service or a product that's fit for the purpose so that you're not inadvertently breaching your duty. And I think it's an important protection. Yes, I'll accept that. Chris, thank you. That was good. <laughs> but just getting back to personal liability. Is there personal liability in this legislation or is it corporate liability? There are, there are responsibilities in there for directors. Um, look, it's a bit tricky because uh, in some cases we have sole traders and so they will be, you know, they, they carry that personal liability, but it's the corporate entity that, that the law will focus, that we will focus um, our attentions on. Um, there can be, um, there for things like reckless uh, endangerment, those sorts of things, there are some specific provisions in there that can apply to individuals, but it's largely speaking, it's the corporate entities that will, will take um, the duties on. So, in a worst case scenario, any legislation will be a criminal issue rather than a, a matter through this legislation. Uh, we have well, there's there's both we have both criminal and civil uh, penalties available to us. Um, the only, I mean, the most serious offence in, in there is, which is in there for a very good reason, which is about, uh, you know, deliberate acts, reckless, intentional, um, which which has a jailable offence attached to it. But that's largely the only one. The rest of them are the, the body corporate offences.